if you have questions, I am going to do questions on a separate uh, on a separate video that I'll probably just record in my office and post that and, and, and let you know. But I came up with a few questions based on some conversations I've had the last couple weeks. And uh, these are the uh, questions. What do you say if someone asks or labels you, are you or you are uh, homophobic or transphobic? So I'll answer that on a, on a separate video. Do you use someone's preferred pronouns, name change, or gender change? Um, third question, do we attend a same-sex wedding? Allow adult children's partners to come to our homes or stay in our homes? And if you have other questions to add to these, uh, just send me an email in the next two days, actually 24 hours, okay, so that I can uh, study those out. And when I have, a, I, I feel like a, a biblical answer to these, I will answer those on a video and send you a link, I'll post it on YouTube, send you a link to it. So I won't take questions. Uh, I'll take time to answer these uh, in class today. All right, we ended last time in Romans 6, and the rise of the therapeutic self, which is what culture says I am, and what I say I am. So the rise of self, there's a book that I'll, I'll mention later, but there are a couple of versions of this. This is the longest version. Uh, of this book. Carl Truman is a, uh, a believer, a teacher in Pennsylvania, and this is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. I got this book from another pastor, uh, and I usually get books based on recommendations, so most of the books that I refer, someone recommended them to me, I read them, and I'll recommend them to you. There is so much out there, uh, and to know what to read and what not to read and what's a waste of time and what's helpful, uh, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what I have found is helpful and why uh, on a slide in a little bit. But the shorter version of this book, I just listened to twice um, in the last two weeks, three weeks maybe. Uh, it, it's called Strange New World. So Strange New World, this one, as you can see, is about 400 pages. Strange New World, I listened to it, and I'm guessing I listened to it, so I don't know how many pages, maybe 200. Okay, so shorter version of this, Strange New World, Carl Truman. Um, but he, he traces in the last 200 years how that the idea of self has, in his subtitle, cultural amnesia, expressive individualism, and the road to the sexual revolution. So expressive individualism, people are going to college now not to learn as, or to be educated to grow. They're, they're going to perform. To, and this is, this is what we're seeing in, invade almost every, even church, where we don't come to church to learn, we come to church to be seen, to express ourselves, to, to be affirmed with whatever we're doing, whether right or wrong. And we can see in Scripture we can't do that as a church. The first Corinthian book of chapter 5 can't affirm this guy who's living in sexual sin and they thought they were doing what was right and loving, but Paul says, kick this guy out. Even the unsaved world does not live this way and doesn't approve of this. So we can't, as, as believers, 
um, allow expressive individualistic people um, to live without being challenged. And what does Jesus tell us? If someone would come after me, he should do what? Express himself. Be your authentic self. No. He says you should deny yourself and take up your cross. How often are you supposed to take up your cross? Daily. You know what that means? Die to self. I was listening to a book yesterday I'll mention as I was uh, fixing uh, some mortar in my house. And um, this lady was a gay girl, and she writes a book, Gay Girl, Good God, and she said, I still struggle as a married person, as a Christian, with same-sex attraction, but I have to learn to die to myself every day. Every day I wake up and I'm still attracted to other ladies. And so what do we do with that? You die to yourself. This is the same. This isn't, this isn't strange, okay? This is how the Christian life works. We wake up doubting God. What do we do? We doubt God the whole day? No. We learn to trust. We wake up fearful. What do we do? Stay in fear all day? No. We trust. We wake up angry. Oh, well, we just stay angry all day. No. We die to self and live like Christ. This is the Christian life. We never get complete freedom from our sin. We're not promised complete. We have to mortify our, the, our, um, our members. And we'll see here in Romans 6 what to do with our members. What do we do with this body? So this body does not tell me what I am or what I do. This body is my servant, and this body is God's slave. And when I look at my body, how God looks at my body, that's where freedom begins. If I look at my body as I have to do what my body is telling me I have to do, oh no, you're a slave to your body. People can be slaves to their tongue or what they want to say or what they want to eat or what they want to think or what they want to do with their hands or what they want to do with their other, um, um, what other body parts, okay? Your whole body. 1 Corinthians 6 reminds us at the end of that chapter that we are to flee fornication. And this is the same chapter that says that such were some of you, but you were saved and you were washed and you were sanctified, you were cleansed. And the such were some of you, the list is one of the six places that homosexuality is mentioned in the Bible. And we are to glorify God with our bodies and our minds, which God has purchased. We've been bought with a price. So because we've been bought with a price, we glorify, we glorify God with our bodies. So, but the culture is screaming, it's teaching, it's, it's uh, affirming, it's putting kids and adults on a fast track. If you're questioning your gender, there's one path for you. And that leads to transition. That's not helpful. And what's going to happen, and what we're starting to see happen, and people are writing books about the effects of that kind of thinking is there are people that are falling off of that fast track to 
gender transition. You have to do this. Or you have to embrace this lifestyle. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are more confused than ever. And if their LGBTQ community, if they ever question the LGBTQ community or ideology, they're going to be ostracized. The one place that they feel safe and comfortable and where they belong, when that culture turns on them, where can they go? We want them to come here. We want them to come to church. We want them to come across our path so that we can show them how to truly be free. And it's not by embracing your sexual desires and acting out whatever you imagine or whatever you invent yourself to be. We are most free whenever we live according to God's design of our bodies. We are most free whenever we are glorifying him and not ourselves. That sounds so foreign. Even saying it is like, that's, that's exactly opposite of the, what the culture is doing. But the culture is saying, it's not just what you do, it's what you are. And I, I was thinking about, even this morning, if you were to ask me who I am, I would give you one word, Jesus. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. And when me to live is Christ, to die is even gain. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we'll be with him. So we'll be like him. So we have to identify, if we were to boil down what these bodies are as a Christian, here is what it is. We are Christ. You say, but you're a pastor, you're a dad, you're a son, you're a husband. I'm a certain color of skin. Eh, that's not who I am. That might be what I do. I mean, how other people see me, but when we put as our identity and strip away everything else, so now inside of who I am, yes, I am a dad, and because I'm a dad, I drive a long way to go to soccer games and volleyball games this weekend, and uh, do other things. Because I'm a neighbor, uh, I do certain things for, to help my neighbor. Because I'm a husband, I want to please my wife. Yep, all of those things are true, but at the very core of who I am is not how I relate to other people, it's how I relate to God. And when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. God makes us new. He places us in the heavenly places in Christ. There is so much about our identity that we could, we could look at in Sunday school, and we're not going to have time uh, for this study. But before Christ's identity, we got to this. Uh, we are blind. Other places, uh, Jesus talked to Nicodemus about seeking and saving those who are lost. Those who are blind, those who are lost, those who are slaves to sin, those who are dead, we pity. We have compassion on them because this is their biblical identity before Christ. And if someone says, this is my sin is who I am, okay, they can identify as a sinner, but they won't want to be slaves to that sin because that sin is, is uh, destroying them. Before Christ, a behavior based on an identity that out of our heart comes all these uh, immorality and adultery and um, gross sin, 
and ordinary everyday sin. Mark 7 t- tells us where this sin comes from. Out of our heart comes all these, uh, all wicked behavior. And then 1 Corinthians 6 we'll look at uh, in a minute. And before Christ, our behavior was um, just like uh, anyone else. After Christ, our identity is sight, slave of righteousness, and we are not dead, but we're alive. Exactly opposite of what you see in the first bullet point. So let's look at Romans 6. We'll start at verse uh, 17. We didn't get much of this last week, so verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin. Okay, we'll stop right there with that phrase. Having been set free from sin. How are we set free from sin? By the blood of Christ. Everyone on the face of the earth. There's only two people on earth. Those who are slaves of sin and those who are set free from sin. Christ comes to set captives free. And how do we know we're set free? Because Jesus paid for all of our sin. How do we know he paid for all of our sin? Because what does he say on the cross? It is finished. Paid in full. Whoa. And it doesn't matter how gross of a sin sinner you were, if you trusted Christ like the thief on the cross. I think he was also a murderer, the Bible says in another place. So he is... He is a pretty bad sinner. He's dying for his sin. But while he's dying, moments before he breathes his last breath, he cries out to God and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus knew this was a dependence on him. That's how we're saved, when we depend on Christ. It's a beautiful picture that uh, we are not supposed to forget. And so it's recorded for us. And that slave of sin on the cross became a slave of righteousness. And he starts rebuking the other thief. He says, what, don't you fear God? We deserve what we're getting. This righteous man doesn't deserve this. He starts, say, evangelizing, (laughs) okay, from the cross, That's all we have recorded that this guy says. But we'll see him in heaven. He'll have a room that is beautiful. He'll be worshiping with us at the feet of our scarred Savior forever. We're a lot like him. We're a lot like people that wave rainbow flags. We're a lot like people that have embraced and identified as sinners and like their sin and their whole community is built on their identity as sinners. We're a lot like them. I'm a lot like them. I was once a slave to sin too. And if we will have compassion as we have been learning from the last three weeks, this, these people's identity is blind, lost, slave of sin and dead. Our heart will go out to them because we can see. And the only reason we can see is Jesus opens our eyes. We can't see because we decided one day we wanted to see. Only God can open the eyes of the blind. And he gets all the glory when he does. And all of us as 
seeing sinners now, seeing saints, are seeing saints because our Savior opened our eyes. We were once slaves of our sin, and it might not be the sins that we look down on other people for, but lying and stealing and coveting and taking God's name in vain and dishonoring parents and lusting is the same sins that Jesus died for. So we are to give thanks to our God that we who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. God gave us a new heart to obey him to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. We exchange slavery to sin for slavery to righteousness. Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because everyone knows what it's like to be a slave and of a good master and a bad master in a Roman empire. Verse 19, I'm speaking human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, the word for sanctification is the, the process where God's making us holy like him. Opposite of impurity, opposite of lawlessness. Where does impurity and lawlessness lead, according to this verse? It leads to what? More lawlessness. When we go out, if we go out two summers ago in 2020 and start smashing windows and stealing stuff, where does that lead? To more lawlessness. Like, there's no, there's no end to it until we realize, hey, we shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. Our conscience and the word of God says... Yeah, we shouldn't be smashing windows and stealing things and rioting and looting and, and uh, everything and, and hating police and, and thinking they're all, all evil. That, that doesn't help. Once you presented your members, these are members of your physical body. We have once presented our members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. This is how everyone lived before salvation. Everyone, all of us, and if you got saved as an adult, you know because you've got a list, a laundry list of sins that you committed, and they were awful. And if you're here today, you're watching today, and you're still a slave to sin, I'm going to tell you to come to Christ. Christ wants to give you sight so that you can see him and see yourself in light of his holiness. He wants to set you free from sin, from your heart, from the inside out, so that you're no longer a slave to sin, so that you can. You have the ability, after Christ takes over your life, you now can present your members of your body as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, reflecting the glory of God, which is why he made all humans in his image in the first place so that we can reflect his holiness. And God says, Old Testament, New Testament, be ye holy, for I am holy. So after Christ, our identity is a slave of righteousness. Then that righteousness leads us somewhere. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So you didn't care what God's law said. You were going to do your own thing. Because you're a slave to sin. You have to serve sin. That's your identity. 
of verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Because if you have impurity that leads to lawlessness and more lawlessness and you use people to gratify your flesh, you're ashamed of that. You lied to people and they couldn't trust you and you're ashamed of that. You took God's name in vain, the one who died for you and you got really angry, you said Jesus Christ as a curse word. You're ashamed of that. You coveted, dishonored your parents. You're ashamed of that. No one, no one as a Christian is happy that they were a sinner. They're ashamed of our sin. We're all ashamed of our sin. For the end of those things, the end of those things that we did because we were slaves of sin, the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, so you notice what he does here. He doesn't say slaves of righteousness. He says slaves of God. So to be a slave of righteousness is to be a slave of God. And I said last week, no one wants the picture of you're a slave. Everyone thinks I'm going to be free. When I'm in control of my life, then I'm free. That's a lie from Satan that agrees with your wicked heart and agrees with the lost, blind, slave of sin world. And all of that is telling people, identify with your sin. It's not just what you do, it's who you are. And we say, no, we're going to agree with God. That God wants to set all people free. But now that you have been set free, verse 22 says, from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get. So where does this life lead? The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end. So God makes you more and more holy. It doesn't, he doesn't make you more and more impure or lawless. And that matches what we saw in verse 19. And the fruit that you get, where does this end? It leads in sanctification, and its ultimate end is not death. It's eternal life. So we ask people, where do you want to go? Do you want to go dying, dead, and a life that leads to death and eternal fire? Eternal fire. And fire, when you put those two words together, and people think about that for any length of time, eternal and fire. Every time I have a small fire in a fire pit, and I get close to it, and it, you feel the heat on your face to the point where oh, you got to get back because it's too intense. Every time I have a fire, I want to pray for people that are lost. Because you're not going to escape fire. And our hearts go out to people who are giving their bodies over to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. And the end of their life is going to be, if they're not rescued, if they don't turn from their sin, is going to be death. But the end of the life, if we will, be a slave to God. The end of that leads to eternal life. And you know verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. What we earn because we're sinners is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So after Christ's identity, and because of our identity, and our identity changes, everything about our life changes at the moment of salvation. And now we're on a different path with a different master 
leading to a different end. After Christ, behavior leads to righteousness, holiness, and with Romans 8, it leads toward Christ-likeness. Okay, I, I showed you this quote last week, so I'm just going to go, I'm going to skip over it. American Psychological Association has this on their website, that uh, you don't have a choice uh, when it comes to sexual orientation, and uh, we fundamentally agree, and I told you my senator who had a bill that um, was uh, anti-biblical, unbiblical, a bill that I confront, and I just sent an email, and, they, and she replied something along these same lines, okay? The hope, though, for people, if you were in the 80s, you remember the 80s and the AIDS crisis? And if you lived through the 80s, you remember the AIDS crisis. The average life expectancy I heard when I went to college in the late 90s, the average life expectancy of the LGBTQ community was 42. To have a life expectancy of 42 when the average life expectancy was probably in the, in the 70s. Just as anyone, just, just looking at those two numbers, 70s or 42, you think, something's wrong. And I think what the, the culture whole wasn't going to say the sin is what's wrong. It was the disease from the sin was wrong. So we got to fight the disease. And so you had to get a cure for AIDS and HIV. And now monkeypox. And you look at the numbers of monkeypox, and 95% of uh, those that uh, are homosexual males are getting monkeypox. And, uh, but the, the, the news and the, the media is not bringing that number out, like putting monkeypox with this lifestyle. But Romans 1, as we go through Romans 1 in Sunday mornings, we'll see that God doesn't allow unnatural desire to go without some immediate consequences, but also some, obviously, we know from Romans 6, eternal consequences. But to give people hope that you don't have to, even if you have strong desires, and you say, I, ha I am same-sex attracted, okay? God doesn't take away all of our desires to sin when we're Christians. You can still be same-sex attraction the whole, your whole life. As when you get married, you're still going to have lust for anyone besides your spouse. That doesn't go away when you get married. Or when you are really angry and you trust Christ, you're still going to be really angry and struggle with anger until the day you die. And if you've got any type of other weakness and uh, you've yielded your members to this, any type of sin, uh, you're still going to struggle with that sin. That's why it's important what, what Christ taught, that you deny yourself, you die to yourself daily. When we wake up, we say, God, thank you for life. Thank you for this body. Help me to use this body for your glory and not mine today. You can pray that prayer every morning. We can pray it multiple times throughout the day. And as we struggle with sin, sin gets really attractive, and especially when the world says this sin is okay, it's not a sin. We say, no, we're going to agree with God. It is a sin. So to give someone hope from Romans 6 and 1 Corinthians 6 is you're not 
lesbian, gay. That might be what you do with your body, how you view yourself, how you feel, and you don't have to go with what you feel. You don't have to go with your desires. You don't have to go with your attraction. And you, you're not given a label by God that is a sinful label. God will set you free from all labels. Because when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You can act that way. You can yield your members to that. And you can identify with a group that embraces you and won't challenge you with your unnatural desires. But Christ wants to set you free from slavery to sexual feelings and action. And I was listening to this book yesterday, and this girl who used to be gay is now, she still struggles with same-sex attraction. She's a believer. She says that um, if you take sexual feelings and, and actions out, look at the rest of someone's life, they struggle with all the other sins too, okay? It's not just, but that's the only sin that they want to identify and, and, and accuse. But when I, if I were to talk to someone who is holding a rainbow flag, talk about the Ten Commandments, okay? Everyone has other gods before God. Everyone takes God's name in vain. Everyone struggles with um, honoring their parents. Everyone struggles with anger and murder. Everyone struggles with committing adultery or lust. Everyone struggles with stealing. Everyone struggles with lying. Everyone struggles with coveting. You notice how the sin that they may identify isn't really the focus of the Ten Commandments. It doesn't have to be. Because God's moral law undergirds a lot, and we'll see it in First Timothy, uh, if we get to it, First Timothy uh, 1, that uh, Paul talks about uh, some applications uh, of sins that are uh, mirroring the Ten Commandments in First Timothy 1. But Christ wants to set people free. All right, are you prepared to engage in conversation? Until someone would consider you a friend, ask them about, I told you I'd give you some practical questions you can ask. I got these from Frank Turek. He is an apologist. Uh, I watched um, one of his things last year on um, when it came to critical race theory and social justice, so I got these from that uh, YouTube. I wouldn't talk to someone the first, I mean, let, let's say that you have someone and they've got, they've got rainbow everything on their desk. Uh, and it's clear, and they talk about their Pride Month and everything, and it, it's very, very clear to you that they, they want to talk about this, and they want to engage you in this. And you know there are many, 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 many other issues that you can talk about with someone that besides this. And so I would try. I, I, I wouldn't start with, oh, so you're going to the pray, gay, gay Pride Parade. Why, why bring that up? You don't have to. Ask about their family. Ask about their background. Where they go on vacation? What are their hobbies? What kind of food do they like? Do they like coffee? Just a normal conversation that you don't think, I've got to talk about this. I'm so scared about talking about this one thing. It doesn't have to be that scary. Talk about sports. Talk about cars. And anything that you think that might be interested in, uh, there's a number of of other things you can talk about and, and let them know about your family and background and vacations and hobbies and food and cars and sports and, and gardening and whatever else. 
whatever else you want to talk about. All right. And I would try to avoid this on the first, second, third, if possible. Knowing that it's a hot button issue. Questions that you can ask to, to, to bridge the gap. So after you have built a relationship with someone, your coworker, your friend, your cousin, someone who you, you know they want to discuss these things, and they say a number of things. I showed you a couple weeks ago of God made me this way to love is love or love wins or I'm a girl trapped in a boy's body or vice versa, whatever they, whatever they say. So what are some questions that you can ask to to help uh, them to keep talking. What do you mean by that? Someone says you're homophobic or transphobic. What do you mean by that? And then you stop and you listen. Well, I Googled, and I heard this on YouTube this week, I, I Googled what you're saying and, and transphobia or homophobic is, is what you're saying. And, um, and, and so then you go from that to, how did you come to that conclusion? Based on our, all of our conversations, does it appear to you that I am afraid or I'm angry or I am mean or aggressive or violent against people that, that live a different lifestyle than I do? It, would that be the conclusion you come to having got to know me? Have you, and how did you come to that conclusion? And then you're, you're trying to turn a conversation toward what the Bible says. And this may happen after a couple months or years of conversation. Have you considered this truth from God? And it could be what we've talked about in Sunday school. It could be Romans 6. It could be other. You don't know. I can't give you everybody what they're going to say, what you're going to say. And you have to discern, as we saw, said last week, you have to discern, are they naive or a fool or are they a scoffer? And a scoffer just wants to argue and just wants to make you look bad and you really can't build a relationship with that person because they don't want a relationship with you. But there are a number of people that do want relationships with people. And so we pray, and God will go before us. God, give me wisdom to know what to say, uh, when to say, how to say. Give me the grace that you want to come uh, flow through me because God wants, and maybe God wants to use you to rescue this person, help this person be rescued. What scriptures refer to homosexuality? I'm, I'm not going to have time to go through all of these. I mentioned Genesis 19 and Jude 7 last week, so let's look at Ezekiel 16 uh, together. We'll probably just look at a couple of these. There is Ma a guy named Matthew Vines who is a takes these six passages and twists them to approve of a gay lifestyle. Okay, so that's out there. He's got teaching. He's got a, I can't remember the name. Is it? it might be a Reformation project that is a, um, a class that he has designed. He is a gay Christian. Uh, and so thinking that uh, you can be uh, gay if you are loving, not lustful, uh, and the, the sin of Sodom is not is not uh, the homosexuality as much as it is the rape or the forced, non-consenting um, that you see. There's also judges that 
God uses Israel to judge the tribe of Benjamin, but Benjamin follows almost the same script that the Sodomites did before they were destroyed with Lot and the uh, two uh, angels. But in Ezekiel uh, chapter uh, 16, we see that uh, verse 50... Write the the reference down. So, uh, verse 47, 48, verse 47. Not only uh, talking about Sodom with her daughters um, and comparing the the sin that Israel is committing with Sodom. Verse 47. Not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their abominations, within a very little time you were more corrupt than they all with your ways. As I live, declares the Lord, your sister Sodom and her daughter have done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. And they stop there with the twisting of Scripture and say, well, see what the guilt of Sodom was? Nothing about sexual perversion. It was not taking care of the poor and uh, greedy, um, and uh, th- that kind of thing. You see that in verse 49. And then verse 50, then an abomination before me. So I moved them when I saw it. And Samaria has not committed half of your sins, but you have committed more abominations than they have made your sister appear righteous by all the abominations that you have committed. So what... Here is a former um, lesbian as well, Rosaria Butterfield. Christ rescued her. This is a, this is a great book uh, to read. And she mentions this passage of scripture and says, Sodom clearly, and what we call sodomy today, is clearly unnatural sexual perversion, of which doesn't end with just sexual perversion, but also leads to and justifies this kind of sin as well. And so... I showed you Jude 7 last week, and it was immorality and unnatural desire that Jude said was the sin of Sodom. So the sin of Sodom, the reason God destroys them, is the unnatural desire, immorality, but they're also guilty of, and the list is here in Ezekiel 7, or 16. So unnatural and giving into uh, unnatural desires isn't the only sin. Um, but you can twist it and think, oh, yeah, that was, that was the reason God destroyed uh, Sodom was not for uh, homosexuality or it was this other, these other sins. Leviticus 18, 22, and 2013 talk about the abomination on different uh, sexual desires that um, are in a list of uh, incest is included in these lists and uh, and it, it le- it's a progression that leads away from God, more and more unnatural to, and uh, uh, homosexuality is mentioned right before bestiality, or m- men with animals, women with animals. And this, if, if LGBTQ ideology runs its course with humanity, bestiality is coming, okay? As gross and awful as that sounds, this is where the rise and triumph of the modern self has achieved 
you uh, achieve your, your authentic self. You can be whoever you want to be. You can marry whoever and whatever you want to marry. It's, it's, it's disgusting, but it's not new. Okay, we're not living in unprecedented times. We've been here before. God's word is timeless. The Israelites and the Canaanites that they, dis, they uh, destroyed dealt with the same sins that we're dealing with in our culture today. This is not new. There's nothing new under the sun. Okay? Every generation has to fear God and turn away from evil. Every generation has to identify what is evil. This book, uh, very helpful in describing um, Kevin DeYoung's What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? And he mentions these six passages. He goes into a lot of detail in describing them. Romans 1, we're going to get to in Sunday morning, where God starts letting people go when they reject the gospel. But not everyone that practices homosexuality, God has completely let go, and they're absolutely reprobate, and they're never going to get saved. That is not the case. We don't know who is reprobate and who God has completely let go. So we treat them all like God may rescue them, and it may take time, and that's okay, and God wants to use us um, to, to reach them. 1 Corinthians 6 um, is uh, what we have seen, uh, the list of sins. And uh, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. There is a debate about a word that is uh, in the Greek that um, many, uh, there's very few Bibles that have the same exact uh, language. If you use an ESV to New American Standard to New King James to Living Bible and NIV, they all translate it slightly differently, but it does mean the same thing. Sleeping with men in bed is the literal translation of this Greek word. Uh, 1 Timothy 1 uh, talks about, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is uh, not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice uh, homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, if you were to stop there and you would see the, the fifth commandment, you see the, the first four commandments and what's unholy and profane. You see the fifth commandment and those who strike their fathers and mothers. You see the sixth commandment and murderers. You see the seventh commandment in sexually immoral and men who practice homosexuality. You see the enslavers, people who steal people and put them in slavery. That's the eighth commandment. Liars, the ninth commandment. Perjurers, tenth. So you can see how Paul in this list of sins is, is following the progression of the Ten Commandments. And he's telling us how to use the, the law lawfully. And whatever else, verse 10 says, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And we have been entrusted with the gospel that will set all people in this list of sinners free. And 1 Corinthians 6 is an example of those who were in those type of sins, God set them free. The best interpretations of these passages put all LGBTQ lifestyles in unnatural desires and immoral categories. Okay? We're not going to justify any of these sins, but in these lists of sins uh, is, uh, is these, uh, these sins. Okay? 
So I will throw these up here. You can go on YouTube and watch this. Um, I have already mentioned a couple of these. Peggy mentioned this book to me. I um, listened to it twice in the last month. If I could summarize this book with these four lessons, this is probably the best book. Okay, so if you get one book of all this, this is the book to get. Uh, Being the Bad Guys and How to Live for Jesus in a World That Says You Shouldn't. Secret Thoughts on Unlikely Convert, I showed you from my Rosaria Butterfield. Um, gay Girl, Good God, just finished that one yesterday, Jackie Hill Perry. She's a little bit, a little graphic for me, so just a heads up on that. And probably ladies would like this more. I found this to be um, almost like a chick flick, like watching a chick flick, but reading it. And I, I felt like that and listening to it, so just a heads up. Uh, but it's a popular book, and I wanted to... Uh, know what she said, what the Bible really says about homosexuality, and then this book has been outlawed by Amazon. Any book that gets outlawed by Amazon catches our attention. When Harry became Sally, responding to the transgender movement, those who are leaving the transgender movement and going back to their biological sex is what he traces and does some studies. The, notice the years these books are written, all since 2015. So all these books are seven years young. Um, and since 2015, people are writing books to, to help uh, believers. So this will be on there. It's all about God's glory. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven, which is what we need to, um, to reach out to a culture, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Let's... Let's pray that our church and ourselves individually would be all about obeying God. And our communities, our homes, our church would be a breath of fresh air that we are going to recognize and affirm people who obey God and who want to obey God with us. And we're not going to allow anyone who wants to identify or disobey God, we can't recognize and affirm them, uh, and if they will repent and turn from their sin, and they're welcome in our community. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the home. Thank you for our church. And I pray that our, our homes and our churches would be uh, holy and loving and reaching out and caring and building bridges uh, to those who are very different. Give us the wisdom that we need to be pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and uh, impartial and sincere, and help us to show the love of Christ in a way that also magnifies his holiness and his justice. Give your grace to us as we uh, desire to engage a world that is lost and so confused they want to identify with their sin. I pray that you'd set many, many more free by your power and your glory, because the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. Help us to believe that and share it with the world who desperately needs you. In Jesus' name.